Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We welcome you. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. We left off last time talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, being lifted up, and if we would yet just look to Him, we would be healed. What an amazing idea that is. Do we even need we do we even know we need to be healed? Do we think that everything's okay? So we'll continue in that conversation today. Somebody Somebody Well, Corey, how have you been? Been well. How you been, Mike? Pretty good. We uh I had a I had a thought on my mind, and that was the word belief. Because we were talking last time about if you will just look, you know, Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness. If they would just look, they would have been healed from the from the fiery serpents, right? Right. And then if a type and shadow of Jesus being lifted up on the cross, if we would just look to Him, we would be healed. So the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, you know, do we need to be healed? Do we think we need to be healed? But more so what I want to talk about today was that word belief. Uh, it says in the scriptures that you need to believe under repentance. And a lot of times people say, or there's debate over, just believe and you'll be saved. You know, believe in Christ, you'll be saved. But that word belief is so uh, so vast and broad in what that really means. And so I did... I did a study on that one day, kind of looking up the Hebrew and Greek meanings of that word, and I just wanted to, I wanted to bring that out so that maybe we can have a little bit of dialogue. For example, um, the word "believe" comes from a from a Greek word "pisteo," which is a verb, so it shows action, but it means to trust in, to rely upon, to uh, put the whole your whole being committed to the charge of another person. So we think about God. When I say believe under repentance, that's not just a mental thought. I don't just look at the cross and say, hmm, there's Jesus on the cross. Uh, I believe he was the son of God. I'm going to be saved in the kingdom. That'll change me. Right? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's trusting in. It's committing everything. All of his ways is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to agree to live my life through all the commandments he gave. You know, I'm not going to be prideful. I'm not going to take situations into my own control and try to fix them that way. I'm going to allow his way to fix the situation and trust it'll be okay. Belief is huge. Sure, sure. Affects every aspect of our life, and it's a process, right? It's, it's not something that happens in one day, but when you when you read things in like Romans, believe under righteousness. Um, Ether 5.3 says, believe under repentance. Those are... If you don't believe under repentance, what kind of belief do you have? And is repentance ever the result of that belief? And where's our belief at as people? And how much do we believe? Because through belief comes faith, which is something you possess. And that's that's a powerful thing. Faith has the power to, to move mountains, to save souls, to bring people to Christ, to get you through trials without, uh, you know, swearing off God and everything and going your own way. Sure. You know, I think in our 
culture, there's sometimes an intermingling of the word faith and belief that, you know, sometimes well-believing is the same as having faith. And, you know, I I don't know that that's necessarily true. And I don't know that's necessarily not true. But, you know, like you say, there's this idea that you can believe in something. Um, When I was young, I, like most kids, had this belief in the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those those things were, were fun. And and they, they created some excitement in your life, but you realize they were just things in your mind. And the unfortunate reality is they didn't exist. But there's this notion that that type of belief, just believing that something exists, is the same as faith. And, and that's where the ideas depart. You know, um, in the book of James, I think it's a popular scripture where James writes, hey, you say you have faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he also talks about belief, and he says, uh, yeah, it's good that you believe, but the devils also believe. And then he says, dot, 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 and tremble, you know, because of what they know. And so if if belief is something that has to be different than just head knowledge, and because the devils do it too, it's, it's kind of like Mark Twain, I think he was the one who once said, People who don't read good books differentiate themselves very little from people who cannot read. You know, you, you think mm-hmm. about that. If you don't choose in your life to read, you're not a lot different than an illiterate person. And, and my my thoughts kind of center in, in faith is that, you know, if you just say you believe, but it hasn't changed how you live, it hasn't changed how your life is in the action of your life, then you don't really believe and and that's probably the difference between belief and faith if i if i had to quantify one versus the other i'd say belief is the beginning of the journey that's you want to you're on this quest to find out that these things are real that eternity is a reality but faith is when those beliefs turn into action and you do something about it and so that would uh yeah and that's that's probably almost exactly how I have it in my mind. Uh, I say faith or uh, is exercising belief. Exercising belief is similar to faith. You can get really caught up in the words, but I think it really is important to understand that faith is something that can be possessed. Faith is, is something that's not tangible, but it's almost as, it's just like holding a baseball in your hand. You can possess that ball. That's That's how faith is, but it can be small or it can be large. It can be something that has a great effect in your life or it can be something that does absolutely nothing um, for you. But to possess it, it says, you know, Hebrews gives the, the classic definition, the assurance of things, fo- faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think that's King James or inspired version. Um, so that shows that faith is a thing. The assurance of things hoped for. How how big is that assurance in your life? And and what does that assurance do? How does that allow you to act when trials and temptations and bad things happen, which are going to happen all around us, and every one of us will go through them? How big is that faith? Sure. You know, that's, um, that's a great question. And there's probably a lot of people in Scripture who demonstrated both you know integrity through trials and lack of integrity through trials and uh and sometimes it you know it's it comes down to a question of well did someone have enough faith or not and you know as you say faith isn't just something you acquire on the spot i think faith is the the accumulation of experience in life Mm -hmm. where 
you know, as you say, there's something tangible about it. But it, it, it's not like maybe a physical property, although I, I did hear one spiritual mentor describe it like an element. If we have this periodic table of physical elements, uh, this person sort of implied there's also an equivalent periodic table of spiritual elements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that sounds kind of hokey, but in a way we have to believe it's true because even in the physical universe we can measure you know, we measure things like atoms and particles, and we talk about their their mass in terms of atomic units, you know, just this tiny way of measuring this infinitesimally small uh, little piece of matter. But then we talk about light, and we say, okay, well, a light particle travels in waves like it has mass, but it has no mass. So we've already acknowledged that in our existence, there are things of a measure that, that can't be measured, but are present. Okay, and light is one of those. It has zero mass, but yet it travels like a particle that has mass in a wave. So the the only reason for sharing that is that light affects every part of our life, and we can't really measure it. We can't put it on a scale, right? But you can see the effect. Faith is like that too. Um, you can you can accumulate it. You can you can cultivate it, um, and it's often through trials. It's often through strife. Uh, through through uh, putting your belief to the test where that faith is strengthened, you know, where it says people had great faith and they moved mountains, you know, that's uh, the extreme example, I'm sure, but not the only one and not necessarily extreme. It's only extreme because we probably don't understand the elements that would take someone on a journey to get to that point. But but I think it's much like a person who's a, a runner for instance, my wife and I go to a lot of running events, and you'll see whether it's just a local race or maybe even a race where there's international people running. The the people who've run the most and the hardest, often you can pretty much tell by their body type when you see them that they've put a lot of hours in. You know, they've they've run a lot. They they have the physique and the shape and everything that that suggests that they've had a lot of time prior to the race learning to run and accumulating miles and getting faster and stronger. And so their the result is one, their appearance, but their their heart rate, you know, is is better, it's lower, their uh, just metabolism, their cardio and pulmonary uh, measurements in, in their uh, system, they're, they're just, they're fit. And so when, but it doesn't happen in a day. And, and faith is like that too. It's not just, I believe now I have faith. It's putting that belief to the test. And and where this comes up, I think, the most is when, when Jesus gave Beatitudes, the word we use for that, anyhow, these life rules to live by, you know, he, he, he counters or he parallels. He said, hey, when, when people uh, would smite you on the cheek, you know, he says, turn the other cheek. Well, that's a hard thing to do in of the fact that someone just hit you, right? But but that response is building faith. That response is like that runner who's decided, I'm going to work out this morning. I'm going to get up at 4 o'clock. I'm going to do what it takes. And when we have those encounters with strife in our life and we choose to follow his rules, you know, he, he didn't say love your neighbor as yourself when they love you too. You know, you love your neighbor as yourself when they aren't loving toward you. That's That's the implication. Those are things that build our faith. Those are things that take us on that faith journey. So we have small experiences like learning to run, you know, a 5K so that someday you can run a marathon. And, and those encounters in life that Jesus gave us, they were all like, okay, when you encounter this difficulty, this is how you choose to respond. Those choices are always difficult. They go against our natural 
thinking, the natural man. But in that process, we are getting that faith workout. We are accumulating faith if we respond appropriately according to his rules versus by just the natural way we'd want to respond, which would be against his nature. Mm. There, there's a scripture in, um, in Alma, just, just for an example. When, Corey, when you, I, don't, I don't want to get too philosophical, but um, my purpose is because I was reading through this one day and I had this thought, I wondered, does this thought occur to other people or how many other people have had the thought? I'm sure it has. And that's why I take an interest in this. Like in Alma 3, the 84th verse, it says, And behold, he that cometh to take away the sins of the world, yea, the sins of every man which steadfastly believeth on his name. So, right, the first thing I think of when I read a scripture like that, I think, okay, so not every person, there's a qualification there, not every person is going to have their sins taken away. So you can't just look at Christ and say, Christ died on the cross for my sins, and now I get to go to heaven, because there's there's so many there's so many little qualifications attached as we read his word. He says, No, not 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 just to take away the sins of, of everyone just across the board without condition, but but he that steadfastly believeth on his name. Mm. And so when I read that I have to ask myself, what does that look like from, you know, for me from eight to five or eight to eight, 24 hours a day, steadfastly believing on the name of God. And I don't know if people think that's overly simplistic. I think it's so important because we go to um, church on Sunday with a whole congregation, I believe, uh, (laughs) of people who would say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. That's why I'm here. Right. But when we look at the fruits of of us as an organization, or if I look at the fruits of just me and my personal life, I thought, well, yeah, I, I say I believe in God, but what what fruits are there? What What is that uh, belief? Like you said, the, the scripture says the devils also believe. So there's a way to just acknowledge that something exists, but it's not incorporated into your actions and what you do, you know, all day long. Right, right. And so I think scriptures like this are important that when we read that word, he that steadfastly believes, we have to go through a thought process in our mind and say, am I steadfastly believing on Jesus? And what does that look like? Or do I take little vacations throughout the day when it's convenient for me? Well, I I believe Jesus exists, but I'm not really sure he was right on when he said, just turn your other cheek when your brother's being an idiot to you. Right. And so then I... It's like I heard this story about a pickpocket who he used to steal 50 watches a week, but now that he's a Christian, he only steals three or four, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so what, is, what does that look like to, to change our life? Yeah, because um, in other words, I could, I could take little breaks throughout the day. That's not being steadfast. That's when it's convenient for me. I'm going to take things into my own hands and maybe try them a little better way than what the Lord told me is right. Because... By doing so, what I'm, I'm probably thinking, I'm going to avoid some pain. I'm going to avoid some hurt. A lot of th- a lot of things in a Christian walk is taking hurt in mm-hmm. and just accepting it and absorbing mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and that's not fun or pleasant, right? Because right. everything within us wants to make sure that justice is done and that you know God just saw what this person did to me or. You know, other people around me need to know what this person just did yeah. in, in my yeah, life. Yeah, that's so true. That that enduring part of it is like there's always going to be things that happen in the physical world and, 
And honestly, when we walk closely with the Lord steadfastly, as you use that scripture from uh, verse 84, it's meaning that we're going to endure things that don't make us always comfortable in the physical, but they they can have a benefit Mm -hmm. in the spiritual. But so maybe when we, and I'm just thinking of one instance, one just, I'm trying to make a concrete instance. And a lot of it is, you know, people are probably our biggest thorn in our side. You, you interact with someone, they treat you wrong. You want to either hurt them back or tell somebody what they did or make sure that people know. Um, but if you do it Jesus way and you turn the other cheek, you treat them with love, you don't retaliate, you don't tell anybody about it. You don't get on Facebook and anonymously, you know, anonymously post something that, really other people will know what's going on you don't do any of those things and you allow you allow yourself to believe that jesus way is better and let's say you get through that situation and it actually turns out uh, to work out for the best right have you just then built faith and say you know what doing it this way actually is better now now am i able to better uh, believe in that way the next time it happens or do we regress and just go back to our base instincts i don't know but but i think these are the type of things that are important to us otherwise we just we go for 80 years and we just continue to do what we want to do and we go to the grave and what what was it all for sure. what, what did we learn and you said something earlier about firmness. Yeah, and yeah. That just reminded me when I read that scripture on steadfast. Firm. Well, you know, this is too coincidental, and I guess I shouldn't call anything a coincidence because just this morning before we even talked about getting together today, I was doing a little research on that word firmness, and there's an interesting correlation, and I didn't know you were going to use that scripture, Alma 384, either because it ties in with this. Um, but before getting to that. I just wanted to say something when you talked about the things that people do and we want to do something back. You know, there's a scripture, many actually, that talk about reviling. You know, when men shall revile you and say evil against you falsely for the name of Jesus. Well, the counsel of Jesus is don't revile back. And we don't often use that word, but the revile kind of implies when they say bad things or they shout at you. And, and, you know, if someone says something mean to us, well, you know, our first instinct, the natural instinct, is you want to say something mean back because, well, by golly, they deserve it. And and I heard someone say something once, and I and I think it's true that the uh, the tools of Satan, the the uh, tools in his arsenal, the weapons that he uses against us, have no effect on him. You know, if, if he can revile or he could he could uh, maybe even influence someone to say something bad about us. But but saying something bad about them or him does nothing to him. And he wants us to think that, oh, good, I'll get even because I'll shout back at them because they shouted at me. And the whole thing is he laughs at that because mm-hmm. the weapons of Satan have no effect against Satan. They only have effect against us. And that's what Jesus was teaching through the scriptures is that, no, this is how you respond because these things do have uh, an effect against Satan. And they're the opposite of what you're going to think they are. That's why he says, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. I'm in a situation right now in, in oh, work where geez. where this guy who, and, and I, I love the people I work with. And I, I find that, the and, and I'm a contractor. I work with lots of different people on different days of the week and the work I do. I like the work I do. I like the situations I find myself in because I meet people at the base level. It's, it's a work environment, but I try to see through it. But even then, I'm affected by the attitudes of other people. And even right now, I'm feeling a little just low because... There's a, a person who's 
just you know honestly is just kind of abrasive to deal with and and those people don't really affect me i don't go home and have a bad day or anything like that you know because of that but it's you just realize that there are people out there who haven't been regenerated in jesus christ and and jesus is just as interested in their soul as he is mine and so but i've been finding myself what to do what to do and it's like the simple thought is you know what to do you're supposed to pray for this person you know it's like and not pray bad things you know not pray they'll fall off a cliff or not pray they'll get fired so you don't have to deal with them it's like no the lord wants their change just like mine so it's like his nature is always redemptive so to to do the things that satan wants us to do brings no redemption to anyone it it doesn't heal the situation eternally he he wants your response to bring eternal healing that can work for his good purpose and the only way to do it is to use the weapons of jesus which is goodness and love you before you get on to firmness you just said something that that just opened my mind a little bit. So you said the, the weapons of Satan have no effect on him. And when, when you're talking about, like, if a, if someone's treating you unjustly or whatever, not that they're the devil, but the spirit that they're carrying towards you is, is a satanic spirit. It's not the spirit of love. Yeah, and so, no, 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 we're no, not no. saying someone's possessed no, but, or, or trying to be his emissary. Right? No, no, no. But it was the interesting part is what you said is, like, we do want to um, carry that spirit back to them. But like you said, that doesn't work. That doesn't work on the spirit that they have. It's not going to – they're not going to go, oh, I guess I was yeah. kind of a jerk to you. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks telling for me I'm a jerk. jerk I didn't realize. I really pointed it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And yet, over and over and over and over in my life and, and the lives of other people, that we, we do act that way. It, it, and it just it, it fills something within us. It, it scratches some itch that we have right. to be just. Right. And, and that's just when, when you worship a Lord that went to the cross when he did nothing wrong— that's the epitome of injustice, and when he takes it in, then we have no other choice than to learn that, hey, I think you guys can maybe do do that too, because look what I did, and look what I showed you. Look what I did for you. Wow, that is so true. That's that's the ultimate, I guess, uh, you know, the, the signature. That's that's the ultimate sign of being a follower of Christ, is that you're, you're going to follow in the same way. And, and like you pointed out earlier, it's so true that the, the consequence of following Jesus is you're going to find injustice in your life in things that you're going to accept things that you feel weren't done fairly you know you're you're going to know that people said things that were untrue about you and it's like yeah you, if you know and it's you can measure this in a lot of ways too when jesus was talking about for instance um when the pharisees would give to the poor and they'd sound a trumpet before the people to let them know they were going to help the poor um he said, well, you know what? They have their reward. And you think about it from this sense. It's like if they wanted attention from people, well, guess what? And they got a little bit of praise from the people. They got their reward. That's what they're after. But he had re- rewards times a hundredfold in a, in a spiritual and temporal sense, waiting for the people who gave their alms in a way that he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So, so take the pride of wanting attention out and just say, no, let the glory be to Jesus. And then let him magnify the blessings to everyone. So in in the same kind of way in this life, if you decide, okay, someone reviles me, someone says something really bad and hurtful to me, and I'm just going to blast them back, well, guess what? You got your reward too. If that's if that's what you really needed to feel good. And, and you know, there are times even in the scriptures where people did hateful acts, you know, one nation against another. And, and God finally tells them, okay, you don't have to endure this. You know, you're justified in, in protecting your people and all this. So, so there are limits and maybe we can talk about what that means. But, but when the, 
when the reviling or, or when the hatred comes because you're standing up for Christianity, when you're standing up for Jesus, when you're standing up in a right situation versus a wrong situation, um, you know, you're standing up for principle. Those are the things where it's like, no, you stand strong and you take that and you and you accept that God is going to be magnified if you simply respond the way he wanted to. That's how the work gets done. And so if you choose to just give an equal response of the world, hateful words back or, or, you know, thinking bad thoughts about someone versus praying for them. Well, you got your reward. If that made you feel good in that little way for that minute, there you go. That's what that's, you get. That's it. And that's uh, part of that definition, I believe, committing to the charge of you're committing. I'm going to, I'm going to trust right now in the way of another, not my own way in the yeah. way of another. And Jesus, if you tell me to not, not respond back, not revile back, and it hurts inside, and I feel like I've been unjust. Um, turning to you, you're going to allow me to to endure that, and you're probably going to give me a blessing, and it's and I'm not going to be a slave to that over time. I think, and that's, I mean, how often are we a slave to stewing over thoughts about how someone's mistreated us, or how things have been unjust, or how the world's not fair, betrayal. Oh my gosh! You know, you think about that—that's like an everyday thing, almost. Right. You know, uh, very much. So. Uh, even if it's surrounds traffic, us. we talk about that all the time. Cut off in traffic, it just multiple times a day. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, how appropriate is this to be just in the forefront of of our thinking? You know, you and me, Mike, but but everyone that we, we have to have a game plan for our response, and and that ultimately becomes the the journey of faith. You know, mm-hmm. it's like okay. I'm not going to react in this situation. I'm going to respond. I'm going to choose what I do. That's that's the difference. And so the reaction is just kind of what natural man, who Scripture says is an enemy to God, versus this uh, changed man. You know, the the word repentance. You know, it's, it's the same as the change of heart. When when our hearts change, we we want to respond differently and than than what we would do naturally. And that's the sign of a follower of Christ. So, so getting back to firmness, yeah. what, what did you, tell me about that, that study or what you were looking at. Well, so this is interesting. I, I was looking up on a, just a computer search recently, a list of Hebrew words, and I was fascinated to find on this list of words that were from an ancient Hebrew text, this word firmness. And I thought, well, yeah, where have I heard that before? And I scripture searched that word firmness. And find, first of all, it it only appeared at least in the version of the Bible I was searching, which was the inspired version in the um, in the RLDS version of the Doctrine and Covenants in the RLDS version of the Book of Mormon. I found it just was appearing in the Book of uh, in the Book of Mormon, and so I thought, well, this is interesting. Here's here's a word that's Hebrew in nature, and it was not just Hebrew; it was of ancient Hebrew, and it's only in the Book of Mormon. And so um, what it just intrigued me because I thought, you know, how would a person in the 1800s have known to even use this word, which is of an ancient, ancient Hebrew thought? Well, so firmness. And then the scripture you read, Alma from 3, verse 84, you, has the one that steadfastly, steadfastly. believes. Yeah. Well, so this is what I found. It, it derives from, from the Hebrew word faith. And, and if I pronounced it, it, it looks like it would be kind of transliterated to say imuna if I was going to read it in Hebrew. But 
it, it's from the root of the word, which means firm or something that's secure, um, a nail that was fastened in a secure place. All right, that's that's this root that these words faith and everything come from. But what is interesting, and I just brought this up here on the internet. I, I just want to read this. Um, Derived from this root is the word enum, meaning craftsman. A craftsman is one who is firm and secure in his talent. But the feminine form of enum, or iman, rather, is the word imuna, which means firmness. And, and this is how they differentiate it. They say this is something or someone that is firm in their action. Not just firm in their belief, but firm in, in their response. When the Hebrew word imuna is translated, it becomes the word faith that we commonly think of as belief. Right? I have faith in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But there's a misconception because that word, when it's translated in the in this feminine root, means to have a firm action. So to have faith in God is the root of the word, but to have firmness means to have action. And, and so they also say that's the same word which could be used as steadfast. And, and that's the word in your scripture. So the one who steadfastly believes means... One who's doing action. The ones that they're firm in their action. They're, they're confident in their response. They know that, hey, I might not feel good when this person says something bad. I don't know why we keep coming to that situation, yeah, right. but it just happens so often, you know, because our relationships in life are like the number one thing, you know, and that's right, where we right. find conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and it usually doesn't go any deeper, but we just feel like, you know, that, that just happens so often. So it's a, it's a good example. But it's like this firmness was something that was only of the Hebrew ancient origin, and it really meant to to be firm in your response, to be steadfast. So so that and there's a number of scriptures that use that word. It was kind of an interesting read as well. Um, be, you know, Helaman says because of the the steadfastness, talking about the the people and uh, I think the Lamanites when they believe in the thing, they believe because of their firmness. Uh, and it keeps intermingling these words, firmness and steadfast. Um, I won't read all the scriptures here, but this is just kind of fascinating that the very word which means faith and action literally translates to our English word firmness. And, and it's of an ancient ancient origin. So on a couple levels, it was intriguing to me. But I think it helps us understand back to this point you were making that, hey, what does it mean to believe steadfastly? Well, it means to take our belief and turn it into something we live by, uh, our code of conduct, our, our rules of engagement, the, the things that we're going to do in life when bad things happen, you know, and, and how we're going to respond. And where do we turn to that? Back to the counsel Jesus gave us. I was starting to see a pattern in, in these uh, Hebrew words. Um, I was studying one day... Um, the Shema or Shema, I guess it's the prayer in Deuteronomy that that Christ referred to when they asked him, you know, what is the greatest commandment? But um, it was talking about uh, the word here, the word here in the Old Testament. It was um, different when God. So when David was praying to God, it says, "Hear me, O Lord." Here, it wasn't just that uh, that the Father would would. Um, that a sound would just come to his ears. Mm. But it meant that when people would say, hear me or hear this, it meant um, respond, you know, 
not just you've listened and it's gone in and you've heard the instructions, but you've re- that you will respond and then that the action will follow. And you didn't separate the two. So mm. when it says, you know, hear the word of the Lord today, it means mm. take it in and respond to it. Do uh, do what it's it's asking you to do. The the effect needs to come from what it was requesting. Yeah, yeah let it change you. And so this sounds very similar to that. The two aspects of of steadfast and firm mm-hmm. is not just believing but then responding responding right. when you and so you listen to all that you might be like well duh well but then you ask yourself well how often am i responding right <laughs> in my own right. life right and that's why you can't get very many pages in the scriptures without seeing the word believe or faith or steadfast or you really have to stop when you see those words and just say okay how does this apply and then think around that word because we've 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 done injustice over in our language over time to words like believe. Like you said, you know, do you believe in the tooth fairy? Do you believe? To us, it's just like, do you acknowledge an existence or not? Right. right. That is so not the old Hebrew way of thinking. It was always around um, action. It, and, yeah, it is so not what it means to be a Christian. And I, you know, not to condemn anyone, because I, I honestly believe that whoever believes and calls on Christ to the extent that they are sincere is is going to find Christ and, and, and is going to find truth and, and God's spirit will work with anyone who calls on him, you know, and it's like I, I really don't think he's sitting in heaven with this rule book of technicalities trying to ding us on every mm-hmm. level. I, I think he's a generous father who loves his children, who who wants the best. You know, I remember when my children would give me their gifts of coloring papers from school or that they doodled on at home. And, you know, sometimes they, they colored outside the line. And it was like, was I supposed to sit there and correct them? Because, oh, you went outside the line here. It's like, no, I was just happy that they brought me a gift. And sometimes they were done with all the colors of the rainbow. And then I, I sometimes I received a <laughs> picture that was all done just in black crayon because they thought that was cool. And it's like, they're all, they're all gifts. And I think our lives, when we're responding in sincerity, to the goodness of Christ, the way we understand, he he adores that, he he loves that, and he he blesses us for that, and and then as we let those responses accumulate in our life, they they become that foundation of faith, which takes us, you know, to a greater walk with Him, a greater closeness. When you read a scripture like Romans um, three twenty eight, it says, "We conclude that a man." I'm, I'm trying to pick up. Uh, popular ones that I've that I've heard a lot. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Sure. You want well, to get into that one? I don't know if this ties in or not. Let's let's well let's go for it for a minute. Yeah. Um, so this is a good subject. It's probably something that we could dedicate more than one conversation to. But the context is so important here because there's a there's a lot of error that can happen when we build a whole gospel on a single single verse. And what was interesting is this context that Paul is speaking in, um, he was promoting Christ in a culture of people that had grown up only knowing the law of Moses. And they only knew that, hey, I take a lamb to church and I sacrifice it. I take the blood of an ox and, I, and it's sprinkled around. I, I 
there's the foods I eat, foods I can't eat. There's all these different things that were given to me by God, which were all types and shadows to point me towards Jesus. And the umbrella over that was called the law of Moses. The people of the day knew the law of Moses. It, it governed every aspect of their life. And, and the thing was, it was given to the Hebrews so that when they... When Jesus finally came, they would realize, oh, all these sacrifices, all this blood, all this, everything pointed towards him. Well, they got so caught up in the law, and, and they just called it the law. It's kind of like, you know, when we're talking about, hey, what is an American gives you the, the right to bear arms or freedom of speech? Well, most people would probably answer the Constitution, right, right. right? But we don't say the Constitution of the United States of America because we're speaking to people who are Americans, most likely, who mm-hmm. understand that, right. right? I don't have to add that. Well, if I was an Israelite living in the days of Jesus or before any any of those centuries, literally from Moses up to Jesus, the law was only one thing. It was the law of Moses. And when Jesus died on the cross, the law was fulfilled. It was done. All these animal sacrifices, he said, you do them no more. He said, because it was all designed to teach you guys about me. Well, most of the people of the Book of Mormon uh, understood that. But unfortunately, most of the people in Israel didn't get the point. And so when Jesus comes, they, they realize, you know, they didn't see, oh, all these things we've been doing for centuries pointed towards Jesus. No, they crucify him. You know, they don't get it. He was the Messiah. And so when Paul's talking to people, he's still talking to people who think, I, I still need to be dragging a sheep to church. You know, I still need to be keeping this law right, all the washings and the ordinances. And this wasn't just a short list. There were 365 thou shalt do nots of the law. There were, I think, 213 thou shalt do's. I mean, it was like, it was a lot, right? right? And um, this whole list of things was done. And so all the sacrifices, all the ordinances, all the other things, because when Jesus died on the cross, it was pointing towards him. But the people still were confused. So in the Book of Mormon, we have beautiful explanations by Jesus saying, hey, the law is fulfilled, but the prophets aren't fulfilled. And so he continues to explain what prophecies are coming. But in Paul's world, he's surrounded by people who still don't get that this law is now done because it all pointed towards Jesus. And in Romans and many books of the New Testament, he's spending his energy explaining this to people. So when he says in this simple short verse, we conclude that a man is justified by faith alone, what he's talking about isn't just faith as an element. And this is where too many uh, just denominations in our day have gone astray. They, They equate this with meaning Justified by faith alone, meaning, oh, well, all I got to do is just say I believe, like the tooth fairy, maybe. And I'm not saying everyone believes that, but some do. Some lean that way, where it's just, hey, if I just have head knowledge, he believes, I'm done. But what he was trying to say in the greater context of this was, he was trying to say, we see that a person, when he says is justified, that means to be made spiritually righteous. That righteousness comes by faith in Jesus, by the work that he did at the cross, that that means that the justification or the, the transformation of humanity was done by Jesus and not by the Mosaic law. And so this was his explanation everywhere he went. And so he's saying, we conclude that a man's justified by faith alone and not the deeds of the law. He's saying, we, we realize that all this pointed towards Jesus and not the Mosaic law. It was just a type and shadow. And so that one scripture, though, has become this you know capstone of so many people's faith. Like, 
See, I don't have to follow any laws. It's not about deeds. It's like they're grabbing all these little puzzle pieces and trying to jam them together. And it's not the point. It's, it's simply saying righteousness came through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what justifies us. It wasn't the, the Mosaic law that was just this type and shadow to point to him. Well, that actually brought us right back around to the very thing we, we talked about where we left off last time about Christ being lifted up and, and believing on him. You know, if you would just look and believe, you would be saved. That's That was uh, perfect the way you brought that back to that because, at least in my mind, Christ dying on the cross, rent the veil, like we talked about, um, allowed us to be justified. And then we enter into relationship. We enter into a relationship uh, with our Creator and th- certain things have to then transpire on the inside. I mean, that, that one thing happened in the meridian of time that gives all mankind opportunity. But then something has to transpire on the inside with every man. And it's about relationship. And that's when you, you kind of get into the fact that God stepped into time and took on flesh and blood. And he became very personal. And we look at all of the things he did and said and how he loved us. That relationship then begins to... Uh, to change our heart, to allow a transformation to take place, which then allows us to be eventually covered, completely covered by the blood of Christ and spotless. We talked about that last time, about that great feeling of having uh, no more sin. Yeah, you know, like Scripture talks about having faith like a, a mustard seed. Well, I guess those are pretty small, but they can grow into be this pretty large bush. And so... You know, he's kind of saying once that little change, that desire to change, that steadfast belief to repentance, uh, you know, this work of Jesus to open up the door. So now our response is that our heart changes. It just takes that little trial. It takes that little seed. I'm going to try faith. I'm going to I'm going to try to temper my response in an uncomfortable situation with someone I have a a relationship with, for instance. And, And when we respond in that way, Jesus plan is our becomes our response that's what makes that seed start to grow and and that's why you know people of the old testament and new testament where where they're talking about doing mighty miracles those people their response becomes so predictable so reliable in christ that that's when he can do many great works through them because that's what it means to have great faith they've they've accumulated such a a great response plan and pattern in their life to all the things that satan can throw at them and all the evil mm-hmm. of this world and all this the corruption around us that you're always going to respond the right way that that's what makes you trustworthy and reliable and that's what increases your faith to the point where god does and can do great things through you once that is established as your pattern of living and and god can then trust you with his with his power to, to not ask amiss in your prayers. All the, yes. uh, yeah, that's where it all yeah. leads to. Where he says, this hey, once because you, you won't ask amiss. Yeah, that's a great point. Alma 9, 27 says that um, he's merciful unto the children of men and that he has all power to save every man that believeth on his name and bringeth forth fruit meat for repentance. Isn't that beautiful? He has power to do it. He has power to take you, you know, if you're listening in the in the tension of your life and the frustration and the low points you know and, and we admit it and for all of us it's like life is full of a lot of low points it, it doesn't matter who you are um 
but he has power to bring us up through that. And and the power comes through deciding how we're going to respond, deciding that our, our belief is going to turn into the appropriate response under his guidance. Uh, Ether 5.3 says that he, he cried all from the morning even to the going down of the sun, exhorting the people to believe in God unto repentance, hmm. lest they should be destroyed. Believing in God unto change, right? Unto repent. Yeah, so we don't always see that, but... but I just hope that maybe this inspires us, inspires those that are listening, those that, that love to read the word. When we see that word, believe, we have also a great uh, a great guiding rod or a stick, a measuring stick. We look and we see that word, belief, and say, well, have I, am I believing? I acknowledge it exists, but do I really believe? Am I really responding? And then we go to those questions that we read in Alma. Has my heart been changed? Have I no more desire to do evil? Do I want to reach out and help the the poor, you know, do I feel compassion for other people? And when we look at our lives and and when some of those questions are unanswered, then that's that's a good way to uh, re redirect our attention, maybe into where we need to be, what sure. we need to be doing. Sure. So, just to I guess start to wrap up. What do you what do you say to the person that says, "Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. I believe in Christ." What would be the, the logical follow up question to that? Well, that's a good question. Other than those questions that we read in Alma. Or is there any better response to that? I don't, I don't yeah. know if there is. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's. I guess it's one of our natures, and maybe we've just been kind of uh, incorrectly uh, steered in this direction that to doubt, you know, when, when some, you know, there's a question, is all, it has all been done, is all done. It, and uh, once we've come to a certain point, you know, um, there's some guidance in the, in the Book of Mormon and it talks about something that, um, you know, some people feel like, oh, a baptism is just a work. Well, that's that's a misunderstanding. Baptism is a covenant, and it's an entrance uh, of a gate, really, because the, the Lord baptizes by his Holy Spirit to cleanse us, and we're baptized by water to symbolically make that covenant. And so um, in the second book of Nephi, though, there's this straight and narrow gate, which is not all we should do either. And some people say, well, I believe and that's enough. Some people say, well, I've been baptized and, and that's enough. But after those things, the the writer, uh, it's Second Nephi, so it's Nephi says, my beloved brethren, after you've gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask, is all done? Or have you done everything? And he says, no, for you haven't come this far, save it were on the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, wholly relying upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Isn't that beautiful? Mighty to save. You know, he, he is not wimpy to save. He is, he is not just casual about mm-hmm. saving. Saving is his deal. You know, he is, he is all about saving. And so we re- relying on, notice the merits of him, wholly relying on everything he's done. So, he, so the counsel is, so you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ. So once again, it comes back to that same word you started us off with, the steadfastness, which is firmness in action. All right, so you're going to press forward, firmly acting, firmly responding in Christ in the situations you encounter in life that make you not want to respond like Christ and have a brightness of hope and a love of God of all men. So so you, you're literally building your faith, you're, you're increasing your walk, but you're doing the, the thing that the only thing that can be done is once you're in this walk is to live like Jesus. Be steadfast, be intentional on in how you relate to other people. 
you relate the right way even though when they treat you the wrong way and have a brightness of hope through that and and decide you're going to you know disseminate God's love and his brightness to people rather than the the misery of Satan who just wants to stir us up to more anger and hatred and and then it says so if you press forward feasting on the word of Christ and endure to the end behold thus saith the father you shall have eternal life so so the question you know, to back to anyone, if you, and I'm not saying you even need to ask this question, but the proof here that the scripture says is not to just say, hey, I believe, but does your belief cause you to press forward with firmness? Are you steadfast? Are you reliable? Mm-hmm. Are your actions totally, you know, in concert with the things that Christ has given us to live by? If you press forward and you love the guidance of Jesus, the feast on his word, if you take that internally and it becomes you and you do that through your life, hey, guess what the scriptures promise? We have eternal life. There's, there is no doubt. So, but the question comes back to the, this person or, or maybe even you, who's, whoever listens, you know, only God can judge our steadfastness, right? Only God, right. God can judge our heart. And we can't do that. I can't I can't judge you, Mike, and say, well, you're really not steadfast. I mean, I can pick out little things well, here yeah, and there. And I can't judge myself because I'm looking from my own sinful viewpoint. Yeah, most of these questions that come out are because I've thought about them in my own regard. Like, yeah, am I? But when you say steadfast, does that mean like you're walking up a ramp and each day is just a little better and a little brighter and I'm, I'm acting a little better? Or is it more of a, you know, three steps up, two back, three steps up? Because I, I think when we have those days where we, we revert back or we fail to act in the right way, or we right. fail to be steadfast, as long as we acknowledge that, mm-hmm. restore whatever we broke and move on. Right. I, I think that, you're that's right. That's more of a... But that, that you know, it's kind of like some some days I forget to water the plants on the deck and they look a little droopy in the hot sun. But I get some water and they didn't die. And I, I like my life is like that. Sometimes you know when the plants droop and it's like maybe I wasn't living correctly and I, I need this energizing life of from Jesus again and it gives me that that boost and He sustains my life that way. But I fall, I I disobey, you know. And, and this this might not be the answer some people want to hear, but you know I, I think there's a misconception that well you know we we have to have a perfect life and if five minutes before our death we committed a sin and that wasn't forgiven well sorry you missed out you know it's like it's not this, this is why we can be thankful there's a a real perfect God who is judge of all that that the consequence of final judgment isn't based on the last few minutes of your life or whether one sin existed. And this isn't a license to sin. I'm just saying that Jesus looks at the whole attitude of our life, the whole determination we had. And and it's pretty obvious if you were trying to live for yourself or selfishly versus if you were trying to live selflessly and live for other people and and put other people first, if you wanted to give to the poor, if you wanted to help, if you wanted to, to take care of your neighbor and their needs, you know, if that's the condition of your heart, well, Jesus says, I wash away your sin. I, I make it gone because we're relying wholly on him to do this. And and I don't know that judgment, and, and I could be wrong, but I don't know judgment means that, oh, well, I had a sin and, you know, like this misconception that, well, I just have to go to communion once a month and then everything off, off is off my record until the next month. So I only have, you know, 30 or less days of sin to worry about. It, it's not what that means at all. And 
we probably need to talk about that at some point in time too. But, but I really do believe that Jesus looks at the entirety of our life and this the sum total of our, the intent of our heart. And it says, was your heart good, Mike Barrett? You know, were you, were you trying, were you living? And it's like, cause I can take care of this sin problem that you and all humanity have, but I can only do it if your heart was changed and, and your works demonstrate that your heart was changed. Um, and so I, I'm not saying he ever gives us the right to sin in any other regard, but I do know this. He tells us, he commands us that, when people sin against us and ask forgiveness, how many times are we supposed to forgive them? Right. Right. It, it, seven times. Yeah. Seven times, 70 or some big number. And it's like, so in other words, he's saying don't count because just always forgive them. But the greater meaning behind that is not just so we can feel bad, like, oh, someone's walking all over me. I'm forgiven again. It, you know, if they say they repent, we're supposed to forgive for this greater reason because Jesus does the same with us. He's willing to forgive when we say we repent. And what a beautiful thing mm-hmm, is that. Mm-hmm. That you know, so we're in in our in our very flawed, um, fallen way, we're demonstrating to that person, that one person who sinned against us, we're willing to forgive. We're we're showing what God is willing to do to humanity on, on the whole human race level. How do I how do I tomorrow, how do I act in the way Christ says, rather than in my own selfish way, mm-hmm. you know, it, whether it's in relationship with someone else, how? How do I do that? And and to me, there's never just one good answer for that. And maybe we always look for one answer. Mm-hmm. How do I how do I believe under repentance and not just believe? Like, how do I truly change? It's not one answer. It's it, to me, you have to come at it from so many different angles and right. order your life, surround yourself with people that build you up. You know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, using that analogy of the runner, it's like the, the only way you get better at running is, is moving against the inertia of your own body, which wants to sit on the couch, you know, and it's like deciding, okay, I'm going it, to, it's exercise happens when you continually work against resistance. If there's no resistance, there's no exercise. And, you know, part of this following Christ is to realize every day you wake up, you're going to meet some kind of spiritual resistance. You might not recognize it at that, but you will. It might be temptations by the things you see. And, and these things come at us through the physical, but they're designed to interfere with our, our spiritual. It might be something you see that causes lustful thoughts or something you ponder in your mind or, or some association you have with people that might be inappropriate. Um, or it might just be the activities you decide to engage in. But, but when you decide your game plan is going to be, okay, I'm going to try to change, that's planting that little seed. And, and that's giving you um, a, a new strategy for life so that when, you know, if you, if you accept the fact that, okay, there's, there's going to be things that I encounter that I don't know what they are, but I just know that I want to find the answers. Well, Jesus is the best at leading us to answers in his word. Coming back to the scripture we just read about feasting on the word of Christ, you know, it really is this buffet of plentiful food that never ends and never runs out. And we can keep going back to it and finding those things that are satisfying and delicious. And, and I can't tell you how many times in my life when just a very verse I needed was something that I just maybe happened to glance over that day or, or recently when all of a sudden it applied and it, 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 there was a life application where it's like, okay, I can choose to do it this way, Jesus said, or I can choose to not. And if we follow him by his word and we just open the books now and then i I believe that he'll guide us even in those instances where we just read a few verses or something where where that gives us a starting point 
And then as we grow in that relationship with Christ, you know, it's not just that we just need to read, 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 read. We need to read, we need to apply, we need to choose. All these things happen as the Spirit justifies or, or, or has its perfecting work within us, you know, to condition us. Just like that runner who starts off walking, then trotting and walking, and, and then running, and then going great distances. Faith works that same way. So to get in the Word helps because it gives us guidance. Um, to follow the lives of people in Scripture who all in, encountered uh, conflict and pain, sometimes by their very family members, you know, and see how they responded, you know, see how they, they loved and see how they loved upon people who didn't love them back. You know, those examples, if we can kind of surround ourselves with some of that, it helps us know that we're not fighting this alone and that people for generations who followed Christ have, have endured and suffered as well. And, and so when we're enduring and suffering, we're just holding up that flag of Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I'm a follower in this generation, just like the generations behind me. That's a good thought, probably to end on. Uh, the resistance, I know a lot of us, I, it's been a lifelong challenge for me to try to exercise, get my physical body in better or, order. And man, what a great analogy also to the spirit. So, well, I hope today that we uh, hopefully flushed out a little bit the um, a little bit more about what it means to look to Christ. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you know, the people just needed to look and they would have been saved, but they didn't. They refused. They didn't think it would heal them. It's too easy. The, the same way the Son of God would be lifted up if we would look to Him. Not just look with our eyes, but with our actions, our heart, and say, hey, try it my way. You know, try it my way. And, uh, and see where it gets you. So, until next time, God bless.